Hello and welcome to the Word on the Hill. I am Lanky Guy One, Father Peter Musset, and I am Lanky Guy Number Two, always Number Two, uh, Doctor Scott Powell. You really just you gave a really straight opening this week. <laughs> we don't have much time, so we I'm don't have much time. So I was like, I was like, it if, threw me off. I know. I was like, if I mess around, I was like, we're not going to get this podcast in. <laughs> it's true. Uh, this is the Word on the Hill. I think you already said we're the Lanky Guys. Um, we're glad you're with us. Yeah, and um, uh, you know, school's off like a shot. Is I'm, that the right way to say that? Uh, yeah, like it, like it, like somebody pulled the trigger, man, and we are moving, we are cruising, we are going through the air. That's fair. Do you know that gravity works the same on a bullet as a rock that's thrown? So that you, whenever nope. you shoot a bullet, you have to consider how much gravity is pulling it down. So you kind of still have to arc it like a cannonball, like that old video game where you had to like shoot the ones across the valley. Do you remember that video game? Duck Hunt. <laughs> Duck Hunt. <laughs> is that not what you're talking about? <laughs> no, I think the other one was called Cannonball. Cannonball. It was, it was like one of my. It was. It was like you're shooting mortars, and then you would like destroy little vector lines. It was amazing, but. That's not why we're here today. No, not not particularly. Can I give a shout out before we jump in shout to the podcast? Out. Did you get this text yesterday from our friend Gage? Um, Gage. Oh yeah, Gage said something. So uh, he wants to give a shout out to uh, his friend Hannah Pfeiffer, who has recently joined our CIA and is exploring uh, coming to the church, which is super exciting. And I think she's um, uh, their other mutual friend, Lauren Schulte. I'm pretty sure it's Schulte is the correct pronunciation. Who's a former Focus missionary? Uh, both of them are listeners to the podcast, but we want both of them to know that we are praying for you guys, and especially um, you, Lauren, as your process, or Hannah, rather, as your process of RCA moves forward. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thanks for whatever we can give you in that process, and uh, we're praying for you. And uh, we also saw uh, uh, Cindy Skalicki. Oh, Cindy Skalicki, who is. She's, I have so much respect for what she does. I don't know anybody else who, who uses our podcast in so many different and varied and fruitful ways as she does. She has at various times led different, um, Bible studies and women's groups. She's got a blog now in which it's not based on the podcast, but she does sort of similar, something similar to what we do. And banquet of the word blog. Yeah. At WordPress, I think. And she basically takes a lot of what we do, but makes it a little bit more bite-sized. If you don't have, you know, 40 minutes to listen to a podcast, you can just go and what's the, what's the summary of these things? And I love it when people take the principles of the podcast and, and put them to use in their own ministries and their lives and the communities and people around you. So thanks, Cindy, for, for all that you do. And she swung by the other day. She, and, uh, I was walking and she was like, she prayed to the Lord that she would see me. And so I literally cool. just walked by her. She's like, are you a lanky guy? <laughs> and I had somebody not show up for an appointment, so we got to hang out for an hour. No kidding. Which is pretty cool. Dude, God is good. God is good. Well, that leads us to the goodness of the 24th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Well done, Father Peter. Our first reading for this week is coming from Sirach, chapter 27, verses 30 through, wait, Sirach 27, 30 through 28, 7. Does yep. that make sense? Yep. I should have looked at that more carefully before I started saying it. Um, dude, I want to like I want to make a T-shirt that says Siraka, the spice. You know, yeah, you, you know how like the, remember the trend in the '90s when like Christians <laughs> would like take like Tide and yeah. then they would like manipulate the like the normal like consumer brands and make them Christian slogans. What a what a professional way to say that. Yes, I do remember <laughs> that. <laughs> tide was there a Tide one? I don't know, man. I, the Tide was the first thing that came. Yeah, I'm just mind. trying to think of what you could do with the Tide logo. We we me and my brother made a T-shirt called Ska Fast. 
Okay. So it was like it was like it was like Slim Fast. So it was like a it was like a can of Slim Fast, but it was about like skanking. Like skanking is that what is that the verbal form of to ska? No, skanking is the dance you do to ska. Do the skanky leg. Do the skanky leg. Is that where that comes from? That's stanky leg. Dude. Oh my skanky. My mistake. But what's funny is that like skanking is. Yeah, dude. I don't know. I just the '90s came back to me. So we could do Siraka, but our responsorial psalm is Psalm 103, one to two, three to four, nine to ten, eleven to twelve, with our response from the verse of eight. The verse of eight. Very good. Our second reading is coming from the Book of Romans. Plugging through Romans, although we skipped a really good part. I mean, that's all right. That's, we are roaming around alone on it. We are roaming around because we. That's true, though. It's not even funny. It's, it's so true. It's a little too close to home. <laughs> so we're roaming around in chapter 14, verses 7 through 9. See what I did there? Well, nice. And then our gospel um, is from Matthew chapter 18, 21 to 35. The grand gift of how many times I'm going to forgive my brother. Oh, yes. Yeah, we're kind of uh, with put together with last week's reading. We're kind of dealing with the question of what do you do when someone... Uh, is sinning and affecting the community? And what do you do when someone's sin affects you personally, right? So right. last week was sort of the communal effect on the church. Right. This week is the personal effect on on me. <laughs> Father Peter, I just had to edit that. You just, <laughs> you whipped a, a tie, a, a zip, zip tie, tie at my face. Yeah, because I was, I just figured we could use something to talk about, like. You have, have sinned against me. We have s- sinned against me. Guess and, how many times I'm going to forgive you? Uh, none. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a very good Christian, <laughs> which is true, but uh, I'll forgive you as many times as I have to. Okay, that's good. Well, oh my gosh, Father Peter, I'll do another one here. Don't soon. when you're least exp- when you turn away. I was look. I saw you winding up, but I was like, Nah, there's no way he's gonna do that. <laughs> he's not on the podcast. <laughs> there's no tomfoolery on the podcast. <laughs> no ballyhoo, no shenanigans, <laughs> no more ballyhoo. <laughs> Oh my goodness! We should talk about Sirach. Okay, shall man, we not? I just have to say the first line from Sirach. Oh my gosh, is is so visceral and amazing. Wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. Isn't that the worst line ever? I mean, it, it's the worst in the sense that, uh, well, no, it, it's terrible, but it's real. Like it doesn't it? I don't know. It's such a visceral line. Because we've always we've all experienced wrath and anger and how powerful and how potent those can become and how they have the ability to just take you over. And it is, what does it say yet? The sinner hugs them tight. Oh. Yeah. It's just the nature of sin, right? I mean, there, there can come a time when sin can get so powerful. It's like you can't, what, what's the, is it um, the, uh, the C.S. Lewis book where he takes a bus ride through hell? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. The Great uh, Divorce. The Great Divorce. Remember that scene in The Great Divorce where somebody has, it's a metaphor for sin, but he's got that creature like Salamander, stuck to, right? The salamander stuck to his shoulder and he knows that he just has to get rid of it. And it, it's doing t- terrible things and it's destroying him, but he's so attached to it, he can't get rid of it. You know, that, that's the image I think of yeah. when I think of this line. Yeah, I, I it's so funny. Um, Dr. Kim Schmidt up in uh, Fort Collins, yeah. she is she does beautiful healing things, and she has a forgiveness prayer. <laughs> well, it, it's, if you don't know that she's <laughs> what she does, that just sounds very generic. Well, I said doctor, so that uh, ah, that, that helped out. Um, but this is the thing: is that uh, is that she um, she has this forgiveness prayer that uh, that I just love. Which one of the lines in it? It says. Um, 
It's a well, you like pulled it out. Look at you. Yeah, yeah. It says, uh, "Lord, I forgive this person for." doing this thing that made me feel this thing. Lord, I forgive Father Peter for throwing the zip tie at my face, which made me feel sad. And through which I justified deciding... And through which I justified deciding to stop the podcast and start over. And opening the door to what spirit? Anger. Which has brought what to your life? Sadness. <laughs> isn't, isn't that an intense prayer? Yeah, I shouldn't have been making light of it. <laughs> but yes, no, I was trying it to is a great... Exa- I was trying to give example, but... It is a great prayer. Because it's like, no, normally we don't actually go to the second side of forgiveness, which says that through which I have justified deciding whatever oh. this thing is, and I've opened the door yeah, that to really this is spirit, and which has brought this to my life. Like, hmm. it's that salamander. It's like It's like saying like, you know what? I like... People are mean to me, so I get to. I, I remember I call. I called up my mom once, and uh, somebody was somebody was being mean to me. Mm-hmm. I, I was a priest, and that's normal. Wasn't you know, me, was it? No, it's not you. Scott threw a zip tie. I was like Scott. Scott threw a zip tie, and uh, and I was like I was like I'm gonna do this exact same thing back to this person. Oh. And she's like, Oh, that's a real great plan. <laughs> then you get to be exactly like them. And I was like, oh, mom. mom response. I was like, mom, you're, you're wise. But like, that's the thing is wrath and anger are hateful things. And yet we cling and we, we hug them tight. I don't know why. I mean, like, like why? Well, because I get to be, I get to be whatever I want to be. Well, you have the power. Then. Right. The power to, to, to forgive, especially to the degree that Jesus is going to talk about in the gospels, takes a great deal of disempowerment. I'm I'm submitting this. I'm I'm humbling myself. I'm lowering myself. I'm not going to take the power and do this thing. I mean, it is far more powerful to forgive, right? But it requires a, a stance of humility. I mean, I, I look I look at this this the second part that says the vengeful will suffer the Lord's vengeance. So yeah. it's like you can cling tight to all these things, but the reality is is that there is a real. Um, there is a real process by which you're converted in the Lord. The Lord's like, okay, you want to do what this? What do you mean? So, I mean, I, that's true, but, but connect so, the dots so, for me. So if, I, if I'm a sinner and I'm hugging tight to wrath and yeah. anger and vengeance, yeah. which is really kind of what he's saying, wrath yeah, and anger or vengeance, then the Lord's like, okay, I, you know, I'm going to let... I'm going to let the natural consequence of the sin happen in your life until you actually are going to recognize this. You know what? I read that the other way. I think you're right. When I read it, I was thinking, I was reading, and I I just read it wrong. I was thinking more in terms of God saying, I will take care of this person who has wronged you. It's not for you to exercise your vengeance on the person who has done wrong. It's up to me to show judgment. And it's up Mm. to me to judge. It's up to me to dole out the punishments, not up to you, which is true. And that's, that's embedded within this. But I think what you're, this is point. So I read this as the Lord saying, the 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 person who has wronged you, he'll suffer vengeance, but I'll deal with that. But this is actually saying the opposite. It's saying, no, no, no. If you take vengeance, then you will suffer vengeance. Yeah, those even who, though you were wronged. Jesus says, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, yeah, I just so in my mind, this was saying something very different. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, right. What's in? Um, Father Sean preached about it last weekend. Uh, Did, a, a, empathetic. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, that, that's right. Yeah, it was a very good homily. Yeah, it's like it's like you just say like, well, when was the last time that I did this? Yeah, it's which is a really powerful exercise. Oh boy, howdy. Okay, we got to contextualize a little bit. Okay, you, I, I'm, oh, I'm, I know. I'm, I just I'm, jumped I'm, into the heart of things. I know, didn't which I? is really good, but it's sort of paralyzing me. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't have much to say. Here, here's what I'll say about Sirach. Okay, Sirach was probably composed 
in the time just before the Maccabean Revolt. So remember the Maccabees? The Maccabees. I remember Maccabees. Ah, so a little bunch of Max. A bees? Uh, yeah, nothing. So yeah, we're probably talking around 200-ish BC, right? Um, this is composed by a guy named uh, Jesus Ben Sira. He's the author. And we know that because his grandson is actually the translator. There's a prologue to the book yeah. where his grandson is like, I'm the grandson of Jesus Ben Sirach, and I'm translating this from the Hebrew into the Greek for you guys, which is kind of fun. I, I love it when the Bible kind of explains itself. Yeah. I anyway. Lo- I love that the, that the grandson has a grandfather voice. <laughs> well, I assume. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Does it? <laughs> well, whatever. Okay, but here, here's what we need to know, and here's why that um, context is important. We're living in the post-exilic Jewish community. Okay, got it. Post-exilic. So post-exile. No, is it? It's post-exile, but not, but not pre-return or post-return. I think it's probably well, post-return. No, it's it's well, isn't it? Isn't like okay, Sirach, because I, the Maccabees are the ones who returned. No, no, no. The Maccabees. It, it's pretty long after they've returned. Okay. So okay. So here's the nutshell history, right? They remember all of Israel's taken away into exile by the Babylonians. And we're talking about 580, near 600 BC, right? Okay. Then later on, the Babylonians are taken over by the Medo-Persians. Cyrus the Persian, the king, shows some benevolence. He's like, you guys can go home. We're still under, you're still under our control. I remember that. But we're not going to keep you up here in exile. You can go home. And remember, Cyrus the Persian actually pays for them to go back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple, to rebuild the city, to kind of get things back to normal. Right. So they're allowed to be Jews again. They're allowed to practice their faith and have a temple and sort of have semblance of, of regular life. Well... After the Persians come the Greeks, and at first the Greeks were really pleasant and loved pluralism and everybody within their empire practicing their own things. But remember, the Maccabean Revolt comes because the Greeks got pretty mean and angry and upset about people practicing culture and faith other than the Greek cultures and faiths, right? And so they come and make it illegal to practice Judaism, and they make it um, so that, you know, it's a death sentence if you're circumcised or if you read the Torah or if you practice these things. So the Maccabee brothers revolt and rise up and gain some independence. So we're right before that, which means what you have is a community of Jews who are back in the land. It's not their land, but they're back. They're able to practice their faith. They're able to live. But what we know from society is that the secular world and the Greek world is starting to infringe upon them. So yeah, they're Jews, they're living their life, they're back in the land, but the the rest of the um, things from the world are starting to uh, permeate. Um, before the, let's put it this way, before the exile, the Jewish world was a society that's permeated by the Torah, by the scriptures, by the faith life. After the exile, that's not really the case anymore. It kind of goes by the wayside in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, they're faithful, but in a lot of ways, they're not. And then the Greek influence, everybody wants to be cool. The Greeks are the bourgeois. They're the ones that are the high society. They're doing the cool things. And so everyone kind of wants to be like them in a certain sense. So they're losing their culture. And so Sirach is writing about wisdom and Torah in a culture that does not really value the wisdom of the Torah any longer. Does that make sense? Yes. And so what you see in Syria, it's, it's really just, it's hard to discern a structure of the book. It's just a bunch of little fervorinos of encouragements. And it's encouragements to people whose lives used to be permeated by the Torah. They understood these things. They didn't have to be unpacked. And so a lot of the things that Syriac says are... are they're not that complicated. They're not that profound. I mean, they're, they're profound, but they're not complicated. They're very simple. Don't cling to vengeance. Forgive people. Let God have vengeance. You know, trust in him. Find uh, wisdom within the created world that he gave us. All of these things. It also, 
The book of Sirach is very famous for personifying wisdom. Wisdom is actually like a person, which, of course, Jesus will fully embody later on when the wisdom of God takes on flesh, right? But that's kind of the culture. Does that make sense? So it's got to point out these things because the culture, which the reason I point all that out is that we're living in, I think it's probably safe to say, a post-Christian culture where Christianity did permeate our culture, where it was a lot of our foundation. And now we still have those things. A lot of people still go through the motion, but the rest of our society and our culture and all of the bad things of that have permeated. And people are not really formed by the scriptures or by Christianity or by our faith any longer. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So we're living in, just like they're living in this post-Torah, uh, post-exilic world, we're also living in kind of a post-Christian society. It's mm-hmm. very similar, and we need to be reminded of some of the basics again. Yeah. So this Sirach resonates a lot with me in our culture. Absolutely. And I, I, I like Sirach because it's just kind of like really straightforward instruction. That's the thing, which is what they need. Hey, right. don't for, remember. Th- and I think they're reminders more than anything else. You used no. to know this, and you need to be told again. Yeah, forgive your neighbor's injustice. Then, when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Like, that's like it's, pretty cool. It's just like it's like if you forgive, then you then you'll be forgiven. Yeah, it's very our Father ish. It's very our Father, and Jesus is doing sort of the same thing because once again they've lost it. Yeah, could anyone refuse mercy to another like himself? Can he seek pardon for his own sins? Yeah, what it's reminding you is this: this wrath. This when do we have wrath and vengeance? When we look at the other person and we're like, they are horrible. They've done terrible things. They're a bunch of scumbags. And when do we have mercy? When we realize, well, I'm kind of a scumbag too. I fall to a lot of things myself. I'm pretty weak. We have vengeance when we see the other um, outside of our own personhood. Right. We have mercy when we see ourselves mm. in those people. I right. think. Does that make sense? I think that's what it's saying. Well, yeah, I, th- I think that's part of it. Part I think of it. That's not entirely. I, th- yeah. I think that the, the, you can start with the empathetic thing, but if you actually get to the truth of why you're remaining in unforgiveness and in hostility and resentment, I mean, I think that that's like a huge chunk of the essence of of the the spiritual program of the 12 steps of mm. Alcoholics Anonymous and all, all the 12 steps is that it's it's at the very core it's saying like no you must get into release because as long as you remain in a victim heart and this is for the 12 steps this is for everybody as long as we remain in a victim heart look why is everybody always picking on me why is everybody always picking on me then what happens is that you get to say well if everybody picks on me then I just get to do what I want because yeah. that's all I'm going to ever get and then you start to believe yeah lies about who God is you start to believe lies about who you are and then yeah. you and then you just go crazy yes absolutely and, and literally and 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 you start eating a sal- you know then the salamander gets gets to you to the point on where the you're you're not able, baby you're not able to actually like like you're not actually able to get to the heart and see anymore you become blind because you you just are concerned with yourself Absolutely. It, like, Wait. rather than thinking of your neighbor, and that's what this is, to think of your neighbor, think of your neighbor, hate not your neighbor, remember God, and overlook faults. Well, remember look at the these, covenant. These last two lines, what you just quoted, but, but you skipped one part. Think of the commandments and hate not your neighbor. And I like that it actually connects those things. Mm. If you really think, because we think of commandments, we think of laws. Sometimes we think of these things that are imposed on us, these rules that we have to follow. But Syriac is saying, no, if you really think of the commandments, then you're going to love your neighbor. Right. If you actually read those correctly and put them into the proper context, they're supposed to encourage you to love your neighbor. Right. Remember the Most High's covenant. Remember the rules. Remember the things he's asked of us. 
and therefore overlook the faults in others. Because if you know those commandments, if you understand what he's saying, all of them are embedded with mercy. Mm. He has forgiven you. Can you not forgive the other? Mm. Which is going to get ahead of ourselves because we got to get to this parable Jesus tells, which is all about that. Which let's keep let's keep moving. So I, I always love this is one of those things that you point out to me, and I think it always warrants repeat, repeating. We always sing between readings. Yes. So it's like so we have the first reading. Well, then specifically, we, sing. we always sing a psalm because even the Alleluia is itself a psalm. Yeah, psalm means song. Well, really. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> we sing from the Psalter. Okay. How's, how's that? Usually the Alleluia, though, is from the gospel, though, dude. That's why I wouldn't yeah. say that. Oh, my gosh. Fine. I mean, I'm just saying. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. I am right. It feels good to be right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you can just say it. Just say what you're going to say. Nothing. Say what you no, need to say. I, I, I don't know if it's correct. I'm say just, what you need to say. I'm say good. what you need to say. Psalm okay. 103. <laughs> Psalm 103. I, I got to tell you, I, I can't see a better segue from a first reading into a psalm than this one. Right. Because what it says is, think of the commandments. Remember the Most High's covenant. And if you do that, well, what it, what is thinking about the commandments? What is remembering the Most High? Oh, well, it's responsorial. It's, it's verse 8 of Psalm 103. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger, rich in compassion. If you think about the covenants, if you remember the Most High, that's the conclusion you should reach. So just the liturgy is doing us a big favor and saying, you don't have to put in the work on this one. <laughs> Remember the covenants. Think of the most high. Here's what you should get immediately afterwards, which you know, is handy. Yeah, there's this line that, I, that I, I'm like trying to deal with. He says, he will not always chide, nor does he keep his wrath forever. Not according to our sins does he deal with us, nor does he requite us according to our crimes. Okay. So if we, if, if we can say in the same breath, in the same strophe, not according to our sins does he deal with us, then his wrath is not... Is not a reality of this direct sinful punishment. Do you know how? Well, I'd love to talk about God's wrath, <laughs> which is not a sentence you hear every day. <laughs> I mean, what what I'm deducing is is I almost am like like I'm going to give a spontaneous response, and I want to hear your deeper one. But like, because because we're talking about the vengeance of the Lord, the wrath of God. Like, Those are two different things. I will make. I, I firmly believe those are two different things. Absolutely. Well, very good. I mean, like, but that's that's where we're because that's what we're trying to deal with is like, are we going to imitate God? Are we going to imitate Christ? And so, so like, what is this? So I think that the the wrath of God is something where it's like it's like we experience God's power mm. in a manner that is corrective. It's the discipline of God. It's like it it, it is it's his discipleship. That's very beautiful, but I think wrong. Talk to me. So, okay. Now, wrath is used a lot in the Bible, and I'm sure it's used in lots of different ways, but I think Paul, Paul gives a very succinct definition of what God's, of what God's wrath is. And it shows up, I think it's in Romans chapter one, which is a really power, either one or chapter two. And he gives this definition of wrath that I have ne- had never thought about until I more deeply studied the book of Romans. Okay, okay. you ready for this? Yo, talk to me. And I'm not going to quote it because I don't have it in front of me, but basically what Paul says is this, because it, it's, remember, at the beginning of Romans when the Romans are all mad at each other and they're like, well, the Gentiles did these stupid things. Well, the Jewish people did those stupid things. And they're kind of all yelling at each other and mocking each other. Yeah. What it says, and actually, you know what? It's worth reading it. And it's right here. I can pull it up super duper fast. I'm trying to get to it first. So Ro- I'll beat you there. So Romans chapter one, he says, his pages stuck together. Okay, there it is. Dang, you're fast. I know. 
now this is, he, he's speaking, here's Paul speaking to the Gentile Christians, those who were not Jewish, who were coming from pagan religions, who the Jewish Christians seem to be kind of mocking and, and tearing down because of their foolish ways. And it says, for although, this is chapter one, verse 21, for although they, that's the Gentiles, the pagans, formerly pagans, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but their futile uh, but they became futile in their thinking and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, as the Greeks are prone to doing, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man or birds or animals or reptiles. They built statues that they thought were gods. That was Beasts. foolish. Yep. Verse 24, here's the key. Therefore, because of that, because they darkened their minds, because they worshipped idols, because they clouded their senses, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to their dishonorable passions. And then it goes on from there. What is God's wrath for St. Paul? Because that's where he defined it. For St. Paul, the wrath of God is when he lets you do what you want. Which, if you go on, uh, I would encourage those who are mature to keep reading on to 126 yep. and following. Yeah, it goes on for a while. Yeah. But what it says, I mean, basically what Paul describes in those verses is this downward spiral of sin. And they do this thing, and God let them go to the next step. And then they do something else, and it spirals them downward. And it says very explicitly, God's wrath was him saying, fine, do it your way. You desperately want to do this. You desperately want to want to cling to your sin, your vengeance, like like a hug. What is it? What is he saying? <laughs> your vengeance oh, is like a hug, oh lord, <laughs> a bunny hug. In uh, Saskatchewan, I found out they call hoodies. You know the sweatshirts. They call them bunny hugs. Dude, that's amazing. So all, all I can think of is you cling to your anger like a bunny hug. Um, but you, you're hugging your, you're you're clinging to your wrath. But God allows it. His his discipline. His mercy is when he stops you. Right. He says, okay, now it's time to stop that. Um, so his wrath is when he says, fine, stew in your anger and your vengeance and just see where it leads you. See the fruit that it produces in your life. Because God's a gentleman. He's not going to force his love on us. He's not going to force us to show mercy as he does. Totally. Which gets us still into Romans where we are. Yeah, Romans 14, um, which is like... Which is at the very end. This is his conclusions. Yeah, none of us lives for oneself and none of us dies for oneself. For if we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So then whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. it's like, it's like, give yourself over. It doesn't matter. Like, like the Lord has his own purposes. Yeah. Give yourself up to the mission. It's almost like, like, it's like the true soldier's creed. It's like, it's like, whether I live or I die, I'm going to glorify the Lord and I'm going to do it with everything. Yeah. This is why Christ came and died and came to life, that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead, that this is it, man. This is the real. And he's reminding them there, he didn't die for himself. Jesus suffered and died on a cross, not for his own glory. He died for you guys. And remember, he's speaking to a community of Gentile and Jewish Christians who hate each other. Right. He's like, who are you living for? Who are you done? You guys, basically, he's saying to the Romans, you are either, it's either happening right now or you're about to be launched into the most severe, brutal, bloodiest persecution that Christianity will ever see. Who are you dying for? You're dying for the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, who died for all of you to form a community and a church. And if you hate each other, if you're holding on to your vengeance against one another, then who are you living for? Who are you dying for? Yourself? That's useless. 
Yeah. And I love the praise song. For both in life and death, we belong to God. That is why Christ is died and run again. I don't know that one. Um, for we shall all believe that at the resurrection of God. I can't believe you were just hurrying me along so much, and now you're going through every verse of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I have absurd. to say Mass soon. I know. Okay, Matthew 18. And, and what's funny, too, is that I can't remember a bunch of the lines. There's oh. nothing more embarrassing than, than thinking that you really have something and then getting... <laughs> and you're like, I just live I on a podcast. I just don't even have this. <laughs> oh, for, for okay, so how if uh, I, okay. so Peter approached Scott and said, Scott, I have a lot if, to say about if this. my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive him? Is uh, like seven times? Well, okay, let's take this piece by piece. First of all, so Peter approached, wait, is it Peter? Peter, yeah, it's, Peter. it's always Peter. If my brother, so remember, Jesus just finished giving an explanation on how to deal with sinners within the church. Remember, if there's somebody doing something, take it up between you and him. If you won't listen to him, take um, two witnesses. If you won't listen to the witnesses, bring the church. Wait, did the, so and he, this just, is, he just finished that. Well, this is really important because Peter says, okay, well, I'm the church. I'm the prime minister. Ooh, ooh, I didn't think about that. How, how do I render judgment? Very good. He's like, he's like how? Because like, okay, so we get to we get to Jamoke in here and then like... <laughs> Jamoke won at the sixth offense? I mean, seven offenses. Can we just be like, shut him down? Well, now, hold on. I, I want to give some credit where credit's due here. Um, I know. It's my, it's, it's my brother sins against me. So Yes, but still, think about, think about this. So first of all, when Peter, when Peter says, Lord, if my brother sins against me, how often must I forgive? There is a rabbinic answer to that question that shows up in the Talmud, in the Ooh. writings. And I, I presume, I can't prove it, I presume that both Jesus and Paul and the apostles would have been very familiar with this um, with this, with this saying, with this uh, adage. I don't know what it is. But the rabbis had an answer for that question. If someone sins against you, you are to forgive them three times. Hmm. That's explicit in the rabbinic teaching in the Talmud and stuff. Cool. Um, which, if you think about it, it's really kind of a good. big deal. If someone... If someone has totally hosed you over and totally messes with you, you're like, okay, I will, I will give you another chance. Totally screws you over again. I'll give you another chance. I mean, I, I think we don't give enough credit to, this is someone sinning presumably really badly against you, profoundly hurting you. And you're going to keep forgiving them and giving them another chance three times. That's a big deal. And then what does Peter do? He says, well, I know that Jesus, the rabbi, has been calling us to higher standards than what the Pharisees and what the other rabbit, rabbinic teachers are calling us to. So maybe seven times, which, of course, for Peter, that's a symbolic number. Seven means totality, right? Fullness. So he's upping the rabbinic standards. He, it, it's, it's this first moment for me that Peter gets Jesus is calling us to a higher standard, right? Right. So this is what the rabbis say. I bet you're going to say even more, seven times, which, you know, is shorthand for totally forgive them completely. And what does Jesus do? 70 times. Blows it. <laughs> no, not even close. He's like, he's like, that was a good try, Peter, but I'm going to, I'm going to multiply that by 70. By the way, it's unclear in the Greek in case you get confused if you're lecturing or if you're hearing this at mass. Oh, I guess lectures wouldn't read this, but if you're here at mass, there's uh, it's, it's not clear in the translations, whether Jesus says 77 times or 70 times, seven times. It's the same terminology in the Greek. That's is, unclear. Well, so it's either 77 or 490, which, which is either way, either it doesn't way. really matter at that yeah. point. I, I personally prefer to go with a septidecimal um, multiplication system. Of course you do. <laughs> do you know, though? So this is a big deal. 70, he's blowing it. It's, it's Jesus' 
hyper not that it's not true, but he's using hyperbolically huge numbers. You know what I mean? Yeah. That you're like, how can I even keep track of that? That's crazy. But he's also quoting something from the Old Testament. Do you know what Jesus is quoting? Um, uh, dude, I got lost in the fact that uh, I was thinking about the decimals, sex, uh, hexadecimal. Um, sorry, what did I say? Heptadecimal, heptadecimal. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what you're doing. Uh, hexadecimal multiplication system of the Babylonians that they just found that revolutionized trigonometry <laughs> and its invention. I love everything so, about you. So I just I got caught in that. What was sure. Jesus quoting? In Genesis, remember way back in Genesis, in those early genealogies, when you get the family histories, yeah. after Cain and Abel, yeah. you and, and Seth, remember Cain, Abel dies, then you have Seth, he's the other son, and you get the family histories right before Noah and the flood. Yeah. If you read them carefully, it's trying to tell you all about the family story and where all the big sins are going to come. And if you read through them, there's this guy named Lamech. Do you remember Lamech? He shows up in chapter four of Genesis. Yeah. And he is the highlight of Cain's family line. Cain, the, the family lineage that has vengeance and anger and wrath and everything Sirach's telling us not to have. And Lamech was that guy who basically a guy looked at him wrong and he killed him. And he says this, remember, he gets on his high horse and he's like, if Cain, my forefather, if he was avenged seven times... I will be avenged 70 times seven times. In other words, my vengeance against those who wrong me is total. Jesus says, I'm here to undo not just your sin, not just the, the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. I'm here to undo the sins all the way back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Lamech. I'm changing the course of human history with what I'm asking you to do. Whereas vengeance came in the world in Genesis, I'm taking it out of the world with me. So I think there's a direct reference point to that, which again, he's not just saying, oh, forgive totally, forgive completely, 70 times seven. He's saying, no, I'm changing salvation history with these words, which is pretty powerful. Dude, that's really, that's really cool. I mean, like, I, uh, I remember Father Ray Goronsky, he mm. used to, one of the things he used to say is he says that almost, he's, he's like, he's like, a huge part of scripture is just trying to figure out how do we do this? How do we yeah. forgive? How does brother live with brother? Mm. That, that like that's that's like at the core of this the scriptural reality. Absolutely. And and it's not Which a, is not an easily solved question. No, no, because we have a hard time living with each other. Absolutely. Um that's that's rough and and that so that's beautiful. Dude, thank you for sharing that. I I feel like I thought it was I, cool. I just have such a good nugget. Like, like <laughs> it, it was cool. Like, don't mess with this brother because you will suffer my wrath. It's true. But then Jesus, not to put too fine a point on it, he adds a parable. He's like, it's like this. Then this guy and he he gets forgiven, but he goes and strangles the other guy, and it's like bad. Well, I just want to. So this parable, Jesus. That was a, a summary in case you're. That's wondering. true, which is very good. Well, yeah, he he's got a master. This guy's in debt. Okay, I was I uh I, Scott, I love you. I love you all the podcast <laughs> listeners. Every once in a while in life you have to go. So You got to go same so, ass sometimes. So Scott, I want you to bring this baby home. You're going to land this plane. You're normally my co-pilot, but today I got to take the parachute. I'm just pulling the ripcord and <laughs> and I'm and I'm going. So I love you all. Um forgive one another from your hearts and then don't, and don't use it as an excuse to do bad stuff. So that's Excellent. all I have to say. Okay, bye. Bye Father Peter. Okay. To wrap this up, for those of you who are left, maybe a bunch of you jump ship with Father Peter. <laughs> um, but just to say a word about this parable that uh, Jesus gives. So there's a man who is in debt to his master, right? This king uh, who has a servant and the king is doing the accounting and this debtor 
owes a huge amount. Now the text says he owes a huge amount, but I just want to point out how huge the amount actually is because it tells you. How and, big is that amount? <laughs> well, because Jesus has kind of been using a little hyperbole. It just, it, it says he owed a myriad of talents and a myriad. I had to look this up. A myriad in the Roman, in ancient Greek understanding is 10,000. A myriad actually equals 10,000 and he, and, and a, a talent is a monetary unit worth 6,000 denarii. So 6,000 times 10,000. How much? Uh, here's my question. So $600,000 denarii is what this guy owes to his master. Does that account for inflation? No. <laughs> it does not count for inflation. Father Peter's not actually going. No, I'm leaving. But now. no, no, I'm just. But six. So the equivalent of, say, $600,000 is what this guy owes. This is an astronomical amount for a slave to owe. And he's like, I can pay it back, right? Which he can't pay that back. There's no way that this guy can pay this monumental debt back to his master. And so what does the master do? He says, well, you know what? I'll wipe it clean. I'll forgive the entire thing. This huge, insurmountable debt, it is forgiven. Which not only does it show how huge the debt is, but how great the mercy that this master actually shows. And what happens? Then this servant goes out. He finds somebody who is actually someone who's indebted to him, to the servant. And he says, you got to pay me what you owe, which is, it points out in the text, a much, much smaller amount, which almost anything would be much, much smaller. And this guy says, he falls to his knees. The same um, stance that this debtor, the first debtor falls before his master. He falls to his knees. He says, I can't, please uh, be patient with me. I'll pay you back. But the guy refused. The guy who was forgiven, the monumental sum, refuses this other guy. And instead, he throws his fellow servant in prison until he can pay back the debt. And the other servants saw what happened. They're like, wait, that's not right. You can't do that. So they report it back to the master. And the master came and's like, no, no, no. You can't do that. You can't just turn around and show this complete lack of mercy when I've shown you a tremendous amount of mercy. So now I'm going to throw you into prison until you can pay it back which is something that this man is never going to be able to do. And so the idea is um, he's not going to be able to pay this back. He's there for good, in other words. And the church fathers talked about this imprisonment until he can pay back the sum that he's never going to be able to pay back. It's actually analogous to hell. It's divine punishment. It's the final punishment for those who reject. Don't. It's not just that he fails to show mercy. It's that he outright rejects mercy. And the idea is if you've treated the person who sinned against you so poorly, then you have no concept of the mercy that's actually been shown to you. If you can actually turn around and behave the way that this servant has behaved, then clearly you have no concept of the mercy that's been shown to you. And so what God is telling all of us is don't not just, hey, forgive people that wronged you. But if you really understand and if you want to wrap your mind around the graciousness of God, around the mercy of the Almighty who loves you, who's forgiven you the monumental debt of our sin, the monumental debt of our shortcomings, the ways that we fail the God who loves us each and every day, and the way that we fail all the people around us. If you want to really understand the God who loves you and the mercy he's pouring out on you, then you have to show that to the people around you. And you're going to fail, and we're going to blow it, and we're not going to do that perfectly. But if you really understand God's mercy, we will strive to show the same mercy to others. Otherwise, what are we saying to God except, I don't really care that I've been shown mercy. I don't really care that there is this concept at all. 
because I don't, I have not internalized it enough to show it to anybody else. So the moral of the story is get the salamander off your back. This guy in the parable, presumably, for whatever reason, is so blinded by his own salamander on his back, to pull the C.S. Lewis analogy back in, he's so blinded by his anger at his fellow servant, this debt or whatever it is, that he's been blinded to God's mercy. The salamander, our sin, our clingingness to our inventions, or our, our sin du jour, whatever that sin happens to be, will inevitably blind us to God's mercy. I had a priest friend who once said, you cannot, what, what, how did he say it? Serious sin and serious prayer cannot coexist forever. One will inevitably drive the other out. You cannot seriously be in relationship with God and continue in serious sin forever. One or the other will eventually win out. Which one are we willing to cling more closely to? God's mercy that he pours out on us or our sin and our wrath and our anger that's way too hard for us to let go of? One of them will win. And I hope in all of our hearts and in all of our lives, it is God's mercy, not our anger and not our wrath and not our sin. So thank you guys so much on behalf of Father Peter and myself. Uh, thanks for listening. Please tune back in next week. You are in our prayers. Please keep us in yours. We'll see you next time. The Word in the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.